going to preach on today, and that's found in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34. Matthew 6. And this is what God's word says. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Of its own. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word and the truths in it. And as Alex brings this message, Father, I pray that it goes out powerfully through the Holy Spirit, that each one of us would would take something from this today that we need and apply it to our lives. So we commit this time to you. We thank you again for being here, Lord, and we'll commit them to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, good to be back with you this morning, and uh, we're continuing with our series in Matthew, and as I was thinking about this, I was thinking how amazing it is how quickly children can become overly attached to things. You know what I'm talking about? If you have kids, grandkids, they become very quickly overly attached to things, like uh, a few weeks ago when Judah brought home two helium balloons that I think he found here at the church. And so he brought home two helium balloons, and they quickly became his favorite thing on earth. He was obsessed with him. And I told him from the get-go, don't get attached to these things because they're going to deflate. That's what helium balloons do. It goes out, and they deflate. And so he listened to me, right? 
No, because he's three. <laughs> he, he has no concept for that. He doesn't understand. And so he kept playing with these things all the time. They were his favorite toy. He didn't want to play with anything else. If Mimi or Papa came over, he said, you get this balloon, I get this balloon, we're going to play. These are our toys now. And I kept telling him, don't get attached to these things. Don't get attached to these things. They don't last. Well, what do you think happened after a couple of days? They deflated. And so did he. <laughs> I mean, he was devastated. He couldn't understand why he couldn't play with his balloons anymore. They were his favorite toy, and he didn't know why he couldn't play with them. And I said, buddy, this is why I told you not to get attached to them, because these things don't last. And it's easy to say that to a three-year-old and think it's funny, but that doesn't really go away as we become adults, does it? <laughs> we're not too different from three-year-olds. We have a tendency to get overly attached to temporary things that do not last, right? Things like money, things like our material possessions, our fancy phones and cars and houses, our careers. We give ourselves to these things and we become consumed by them. And the, the crazy thing is when we realize all that money can do for us, we start thinking about all we can do for money, right? We say, hey, this money stuff's pretty good. It gives me all the things that I want. So here's what I can do for money, and I start devoting my life to it. And the problem is you're always going to want more, right? You're always going to want more money, more stuff, and it's unable to satisfy you. And this is a serious issue. It's not just as a, a, a simple of an issue as uh, we're living in a consumeristic world, and therefore we're going to fall into the tendencies of the culture, no big deal. Jesus does think it's a big deal. He says that there are going to be plenty of people who waste their entire lives giving themselves to temporary things that are fleeting and fragile and they cannot last. And it's a waste of a life because then you're going to die and you can't take any of it with you. And you will have just spent your entire life pursuing things of no value. And as his followers, as citizens of his kingdom, he calls us to live to a higher standard, doesn't he, church? He calls us to live a countercultural life in this world as his citizens. So here's what we need to consider together this morning. How can we break away from consumerism and live as righteous citizens? That's what he calls us to do, right? We're called to live as righteous citizens of his kingdom, but we're in this consumeristic culture and it surrounds us and we're ingrained in it. So how can we break, break away from that, break free from that, and actually live as his righteous citizens. And I want you to notice what Jesus says first. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Notice that Jesus is not continuing, or he's not starting a new theme. He's still continuing that same theme that he's been preaching all throughout this Sermon on the Mount. It's that theme of greater righteousness. You remember this, right? All the way back in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus said to everybody listening, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Not, you might make it, there's a chance you can make it. You will never, you have to have a greater righteousness than, than even they have. And so in this passage, Jesus is showing us what it looks like to have this greater righteousness with regard to our money and our material possessions and, and really the general course of our lives. 
And he starts off very practically, right? He says, hey, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth because moth could destroy it there, rust could destroy it there, thieves could break in and steal. He's pointing out basically just how fragile our treasures of this earth actually are. He says that the treasures of this earth are so fragile that, that a little moth or maybe just a little bit of rust could absolutely destroy this thing that you hold so near and dear to your heart. And basically what he's wanting us to consider is this, well, are they even worth pursuing in the first place? If this is such a great treasure, and yet it can be destroyed by moth or rust or easily stolen, is it even worth pursuing? Are these things that are so weak and fragile worth our devotion and our love? Because I think if we really thought about it, the answer is clearly no, right? Uh, I've got a relatively old iPhone at this point, which is kind of crazy to say because I really didn't get it that many years ago, but it's, it's almost ancient at this point <laughs> because they put out you know, a new one every single year. But I remember when this iPhone first came out, and I wanted it. I had saved up a little bit for it, and my wife's giving me a look. She hates apples. <laughs> but I wanted this thing. I had saved up for it, and I had planned a day when I was going to go to Verizon, and I was going to get the phone, right? But you know if you go to Verizon, you're going to be there for half a day or longer, right? You might as well bring a sleeping bag because you're, you're sleeping there that night. So I was there for hours and hours, and I was trying to work out a deal, and they didn't want to work out a deal, so I ended up calling Verizon customer care on the phone while I was in the store to work out a deal with them in the store. Whole big process. I ended up spending hours and hours and hours at Verizon that day, but when I left, I had that brand new iPhone, and I felt good, Right? Money, time, no big deal. I've got my iPhone. Well, later that same week, Anna and I and her family went to the beach on vacation. And I was sitting there at the beach in a chair, reading a book in the sun, and life was good. Does it get any better than that? You're at the beach, you're in the sun, you've got a book. Life is great. But I got hot, so I take my brand new iPhone, put it in our beach bag. I go down to the water to wet my feet. I didn't get in because it's called Dirty Myrtle for a reason. And also there's sharks in there. So I don't do that, okay? Wet the feet, come back up, life is good. And I go to grab my brand new iPhone, this great treasure. And I notice that a a single, itty-bitty, teeny-tiny, you need a microscope to see it, grain of sand had embedded itself into the screen of my brand new iPhone that I just spent a bunch of money on and a lot of time to barter for, and it was officially ruined. This great treasure of mine was absolutely destroyed by a little grain of sand. It's not too different than deflated balloons, is it? (laughs) And I still have that iPhone, and every time I see that screen and I see that mark in my phone, it is a great reminder to me that these things are not worth it. These things are not worth it. They are fleeting, they are fragile, they are easily destroyed, and it is foolishness to give our lives and our hearts and our devotion to the pursuit of things that can be destroyed so easily. It's not just phones, right? You could save up your whole life to buy that dream car, whatever it is for you. Maybe a 65 Mustang, cherry red. I don't know. I don't know your taste. But let's say you save up all that money. You're going to buy that dream car. What happens the second you drive it off the lot? What happens to the value? I mean, it plummets, right? 
They, they were happy to take your money, but as soon as you drive it off the lot, oh, you can't get it for the same price anymore. The value goes down, and your great treasure is not really worth that much anymore. Or let's say you get that brand new car, your dream car, and you're like, I'm going to show it off and go to the grocery store, pick up some groceries. Everybody will see how great my car is. And you park next to someone who's got a sticker on the back that has like eight kids on it. And guess what? When you come back to put your groceries in the car, you've got new paint on yours <laughs> because someone has dinged your car. And that great treasure that you had saved up for, that you had given yourself to, is officially ruined, right? You could get the brand new iPhone, but guess what? A couple months later, they're going to come up with a new iPhone that is in no way different than the previous iPhone, except it's a little bit more expensive, and you're going to buy it or not buy it, and you're going to see that it's released, and the iPhone that you have, well, it's worthless at that point, right? And Apple's going to make sure you know it's worthless because they're going to slow down your phone. This isn't a sermon on Apple, but I'm just saying, okay? Your treasure is not really worth that much anymore. You could buy the latest clothes, be as trendy as possible. And six months later, there's going to be a brand new trend, and you're going to be out of style, and you're going to have to buy a whole new wardrobe again. Do you see how these things just, it makes no sense to give ourselves to these things. You can give yourself to the pursuit of money and you can store up all this money for yourself and you can be like Ebenezer Scrooge and say, it's mine, I'm not giving it to anyone else, I'm going to hoard it and keep it to myself and then guess what? You're going to die and it's going to be left to either the government or someone else because you can't take it with you. The old saying goes, they don't put you whole behind hearses, right? You cannot take it with you. And you might be tempted to think, well, if I just had more money and could buy more stuff, and if I had these certain things, then I would be satisfied and I would feel good. And listen, that's not the case. The Bible says it doesn't work that way. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10 says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. 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 It's fleeting. It's like a, a mist in the air at night. You blow out your breath and you can see it for a second and then it's gone. And the Bible says that's how money and material possessions are. They're here for a second and then they're gone. You see, the truly righteous person actually says with the hymn, take the world, but give me Jesus. All its joys are but a name, but his love abideth ever through eternal years the same. That's the perspective that righteous citizens are to have when it comes to money and material possessions. We are to break free of that consumerist mindset. And Jesus' point here is this, folks. These things aren't worth devoting your life to, but He is. He is lasting. He is eternal. He promises joy and satisfaction that will remain throughout all the ages to come. The things of this world are not worth it, but Jesus is. Do you actually believe that? What does your life look like? He says we should lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. But what does that mean? Well, I think we're going to get into it in a second. But first and foremost, what I want you to understand is it means that we are blessed in order to be a blessing. We are blessed in order to be a blessing. That's your first point there in your handouts. When he says that we're called to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven, he wants us to understand that we are blessed in order to be a blessing. And this is how it's always worked with God and his people. You look at Genesis chapter 12 and verse 2, and the Bible says, this is the Lord speaking to Abram, he says, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Notice that key phrase there, so that. 
In other words, God was not blessing Abram so that Abram would just grow rich and have all this stuff for himself and he could just be the most blessed man on earth. God was specifically blessing Abram so that Abram could then go and be a blessing to others. In other words, whatever you have, God expects you to realize it is meant to serve others. It is meant to bless others. And so laying up treasures in heaven means learning to orient your material, your life and your material blessings toward kingdom purposes. So rather than doing everything I can to get more money so I can get more stuff, it means learning to view everything that I have as an opportunity to bless other people. And you look at all the Lord has blessed you with and you ask, how can I use my blessings to bless others? And so this is what this looks like. Instead of buying that latest iPhone, when yours works just fine, and it probably does, that you don't actually need, maybe you take that money and you give towards Bible translation instead. So that people who have never heard the name of Jesus, who have never heard the gospel, who have never read one verse of scripture, finally have the opportunity to do so. And then the Lord blesses that and he saves people. And one day when you get to glory, God is going to be able to point out, you see that person over there? You never met them. But when you chose not to buy the new iPhone and give the Bible translation, that person read the Bible and they are here today because you decided to bless others with what I blessed you with. That's what it looks like to store up for yourself treasure in heaven. Maybe rather than working those extra hours at work because you just want the overtime pay so that you have more money so you can buy more stuff, maybe instead you use that time to get involved with a lot of the missions projects we have going on here at the church. And then that way our church will be able to love and serve this community and they will experience the love of Jesus firsthand through us, his people. Maybe rather than buying another streaming service, and sitting in front of the TV nonstop watching TV all day long, maybe you join a gospel group. Join us on Wednesday nights and begin to fellowship with other believers and do life together as we're supposed to do. But the point is this, folks. When you begin to orient your life, your time, and your money towards kingdom purposes, you begin to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And I want you to know this this morning. That is a treasure that is eternal, That's a treasure that's secure. That's a treasure that is imperishable, unlike the treasures of this world. This is what is promised to us in Christ. Because Jesus lived for us and died for us and rose again for us through salvation in him, we have an inheritance waiting on us. This is what the Bible says in 1 Peter 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last day. Now that is worth praising God for, is it not? That right there, my friends, is immeasurable grace. We who deserve nothing but God's wrath and condemnation and hell for our sins and for our rebellion against him. Instead, we now have an inheritance waiting on us in heaven that is literally guarded by God. Nothing is happening to it. It is secure all because of what Jesus has done for us. How can you not praise God for that? How can you not give your life for that? That is worth living for. But if we're only investing in earthly 
fragile, fleeting things. Well, let me say, what does that say about us? If those are the things that we're investing in and giving ourselves to, what does that say about us? Jesus tells us exactly what it says in verse 21. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Now, that's a hard verse to hear, isn't it? You might not think it's hard at first because you say, well, I love Jesus. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure. But Jesus wants us to consider here, how can you say that your heart belongs to Jesus if you've already given it to other stuff? You can say, I love Jesus all day long. I mean, the words of your mouth are almost meaningless if your life contradicts what you're saying, right? I mean, Jesus told the, the people in Luke chapter 6, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but not do what I tell you to do? Anybody on earth can say, Lord, Lord. Anybody on earth can say, I love Jesus. I believe in God. But how can you say that your heart belongs to Jesus if you've already given it to other stuff? You might say, well, pastor, that's too far. It's really not that bad. Let's test it. Y'all up for a test? Okay, good, good. Let's do a test. If you were to look back on your finances from this past year, and you were to compare on this one side all the money that you spent on entertainment, and material possessions that you did not actually need. And I'm not saying you can't have fun and buy stuff, but let's just for a test. Entertainment, all the material things you didn't actually need. And you were to compare that to all the money that you gave towards kingdom purposes. Doesn't have to be to this church. I'm not asking for an offering, okay? Doesn't have to be to this church. Kingdom purposes, Bible translation, church planting, missions activities, all that kind of stuff. Which category do you think is going to win out? a hard test, isn't it? Just think about it. We want to say, I love Jesus. I'm not a consumerist. My heart belongs to Jesus. I'm devoted to him. If you were to compare your spending habits, are they more in line with consumerism or with God's kingdom? And I know this is hard to hear because it's a common struggle, but we just need to be real with each other. And we always are, right church? Can we just be real with each other this morning? The Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if most of us do an honest examination of our lives this morning, we have to admit that our hearts have been won over by the things of this world rather than the things of the kingdom. We're not as devoted to the king and the kingdom as we like to think we are. And why is that? Well, why is it that we treasure the fleeting things of this world? It comes from living in a fallen world, right? A world that's plagued by sin. A world that's tainted by sin. A world in which sin corrupts everything in it. And it has trained us to have this messed up perspective on money and our material possessions. And that's exactly what Jesus says in verses 22 to 23. He says the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And you might be wondering, uh, hold on a second, Pastor, why is Jesus talking about vision now? Like, I thought we were just talking about money and stuff, so why are we talking about our eyes and how good our eyes are now? Well, he didn't actually change topics at all. Uh, the word in your Bible there for good or healthy is the Greek word single. It refers to singularity in purpose. And interestingly enough, when the word is used in the context of goods and money, it refers to generosity. So for instance, Proverbs 22.9 says this, Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, 
for he shares his bread with the poor. Now in Hebrew, the phrase literally says this, he who has a good eye will be blessed. So if you're wearing glasses this morning, that's not a condemnation on you. It refers to generosity. Just remember that, okay? So that's what this means. He who has a good eye will be blessed. And it's referring to generosity because notice the description of the good eye person. He shares his bread with the poor. He's a generous person. Well, the opposite is what Matthew refers to here as the bad eye, or in Greek, the evil eye. And if you think that a single eye person is one who's generous, what do you think this refers to? Probably the opposite, right? (laughs) Yeah, it refers to someone who's greedy and stingy. And it's used this way all throughout Scripture. So Proverbs 23, 6 says, Do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. Do not desire his delicacies. In the Hebrew there, the phrase literally reads, and I wish it would translate this way, don't eat the bread of the evil eye. Wouldn't that be great? If you're reading Proverbs, you're like, I have no idea what that means. Don't eat the bread of the evil eye. Well, what does that mean? It's referring to greediness, to stinginess. And so essentially what Jesus is saying here, folks, is that those who have this greater righteousness that he calls us to have as his citizens of his kingdom, we are to be marked by radical generosity. We're to be marked by radical generosity. It means that those who have this greater righteousness, they hold on to money and material possessions loosely because they know that these things are fleeting and fragile. They view all they have in terms of how they can use it to further God's kingdom rather than their own portfolio. They're not trying to make a name for themselves. They're not trying to be the wealthiest person in easily. They're just trying to further God's kingdom and use all that he's given them to do that. That is what it looks like to have this greater righteousness. And since they have this eye towards generosity and kingdom purposes, the Bible says the whole of their lives will be filled with light. In other words, if they set themselves on this path of generosity and living like God calls us to live, their, their lives are going to be full of light. They're on the road to the kingdom, the narrow way that we're going to be talking about in just a few weeks. But the hypocrites, they're greedy. They're stingy. They think only of themselves and how much they can obtain for themselves. If they are going to give to God in kingdom efforts, it will be the bare minimum. And that's another thing that's hard to hear. It's not in my notes. I'm about to go off. I'm about to start preaching, so y'all just give me a second, okay? There are people in our world today, because we live in a culture of nominal Christianity, who want to call themselves a Christ follower, who want to say that they love Jesus, and they give to Jesus the absolute bare minimum, right? If you want to be a member of IPTE, there's a bare minimum you've got to pay to get in, and so you can call yourself a member of IPTE just by giving a certain amount, right? People think that's how it works with the kingdom of God. They say, God, how much do you require? Because I want to know the entrance fee, and if I can meet that entrance fee, well, then I'm in, and I don't have to give anything else. Don't you see that in our world today? People say, what is the bare minimum that I can give to God in terms of my money, my resources, my time, and even my heart? And if I do that, well, then I guess I'm getting in. And that is a messed up eye. That's an evil eye. That's a messed up perspective. And Jesus says if if that's the case, and their eye is that dark, and the eye is supposed to be the light of the body, then how great is the darkness that is within them? If the thing that they're calling light is actually darkness, how great is the darkness? And so 
Church, why is it that we orient our lives towards the pursuit of money rather than orienting our lives towards the pursuit of God and his kingdom? And Jesus says it's simple. You've got messed up eyes. Your eyes are out of line. Your, your, your vision is, is out of focus. Your perspective is messed up. You're viewing things entirely in the wrong light. And we can show this too. Very simple. Y'all want another test? Let's do another test. All right? Think back to this past Christmas season. What's the reason for the season? Jesus. Yeah. Our, our, our God was born here on earth, took on human flesh. I mean, we don't have time to get into it. But Jesus, very simply, is the reason for the season. Now, I want you to think back to this past Christmas season. How much time did you devote to shopping for presents, researching presents, and going around town buying presents compared to the amount of time that you spent telling your children and your grandchildren about what Christmas is actually about? Compared to how much time you spent praising God for the fact that he sent his one and only son to leave the glories of heaven and come live amongst a sinful, rebellious people and die on the cross for our sins. How much time did you spend praising God for that, worshiping God for that, spending your time promoting that and seeking to tell others about that? When you do a comparison of your last Christmas season, would you say that your last Christmas was devoted to consumerism or to God and his kingdom? It stings, right? This is why it's hard preaching the words of Jesus. People think it's easy when you preach the Gospels. It's not, right? Because Jesus always goes after the heart. It'd be a whole lot better if he's just like, hey, try to be nice to people, you know, help people across the street. But instead, he constantly goes after our hearts, doesn't he? And this stings to the heart because although we all want to think we're in a good place this morning, when we start doing the actual comparisons and seeing who we're devoted to, it doesn't look good for us, does it? This is what it looks like to have this messed up perspective. Our mouths speak of heaven while our eyes are entirely fixed on the earth. We have dual devotions, which is the greatest condemnation of them all. This is what Jesus says in verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters, for he'll either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Do you see how big of a deal this is to Jesus? It is not simply, hey, you're living in a consumerist you know, culture. You're going to fall into their tendencies. No big deal. Jesus says it actually reveals who or what you've been mastered by. You can't serve God and money. Well, what does it mean to serve money? I like the way John Piper says it. He says, to serve money means to calculate all of your behaviors all of your life to maximize what money can give you. Always asking what benefits can come from money. I think that's a good description. You basically realize all that money can do for you, and so you pursue it wholeheartedly, and all of your life is devoted to how can I get more money so I can get more stuff because I want what money can provide for me. So what does it mean to serve God? Well, it would mean calculating all of your life and doing everything you can everything you do to maximize God and his gospel and his kingdom and his purposes. And I want you to notice right now, you cannot do both at the same time. 
It is absolutely impossible. You cannot calculate all of your life towards the pursuit of money and simultaneously calculate all of your life towards the pursuit of God and His kingdom and His glory. They are mutually exclusive. You cannot serve God and money. And so ultimately what Jesus is saying here, folks, is whatever has our heart and our devotion, that is our God. Whatever has our heart and our devotion, that is our God. Now, I want to know this morning, church, who is your God? I'm pretty sure, right, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm pretty sure everybody in here this morning would say, the Lord, obviously. The Lord is my God. And that is the right answer. My question is, is it the true answer for you in your life? Look at your life this morning. What do you love most? What is it you treasure above all else? What do your spending habits reveal about what you care about the most? What are you devoted to? What are you giving yourself to? Where is most of your time and energy spent? When you answer these questions, can you honestly say truthfully that the Lord is your God? How can we tell others to turn from their sins and turn to faith in Jesus and to live for Him when they look at our lives and wonder, why aren't you living for Jesus? I want you to hear me on this this morning, church. If we are living as if Christ is of less value than the things of the world, then we shouldn't expect others to leave the things of the world and come to Christ. Do you believe that? If we are living as if Christ is of less value than the things of the world, then why on earth would we expect anyone to leave the things of the world and come to Christ? And this is hard. Because here's what this means. It means that if Jesus is serious about this kind of lifestyle, and if He seriously expects us to live this way as His people, that raises some legitimate concerns, doesn't it? Again, we're just going to be real with each other. It raises some concerns, right? If I'm called to be marked by radical generosity, then that means there's going to have to be some sacrifice in my life. There's going to have to be some self-denial in my life. If I'm called to be so kingdom-minded that literally everything I do is oriented towards God and His kingdom and His purposes, well then, listen, that could jeopardize my job, right? That could affect my career path. That could risk my salary. And that's how I pay for stuff, God. <laughs> These are legitimate concerns. And when you begin to think, hey, if this is what God calls me to, if I'm really going to do this, then Jesus, I've got some questions because I've got some concerns and I'm worried about what's going to happen in my life. And Jesus knows that, doesn't he? Because his very next words, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? By the way, don't you just love when someone does this, right? When you're stressed beyond belief, you're full of as much anxiety as you possibly can handle, and you're basically having a panic attack, you're freaking out, and someone comes along and they're like, hey, don't worry about it. You're like, I want to pull my, what do you mean don't worry about it? If only it was that simple, right? Like, 
I mean, this happened to me last week. Tuesday when I was holding Ezra at Gene and Vicky's, Ezra starts throwing up all over me. And immediately, I start having a panic attack because I'm like, oh, no, he didn't eat anything. I know that this is going to have to be the stomach bug. If he's got the stomach bug, Judah's going to get the stomach bug. If Judah gets it, then I'm going to get it. If I get it, Anna's going to get it. If Anna gets it, then probably my mom's going to get it. Gene Vicky's going to get it. And I can't miss work. Anna can't miss work. They're trying to fire her. And then Gene and Vicky's having surgery. My mom's watching Stella. We have no one to watch them. And so I start having a panic attack. And I talk like this in my mind when I'm having a panic attack. And then all of a sudden, in the midst of this craziness, my great brother-in-law, whom I love dearly, comes to me and says, hey, it's all going to work out. And I'm like, ah, what do you mean? What do you mean it's all going to, did you not just hear literally everything that I said to you? And you're going to come to me and say, it's all going to He's like, hey, it's all going to work out. And that's exactly what Jesus does here, right? It's okay to be frustrated. It's okay. Jesus knows it. We're freaking out. We're worried. We're like, Jesus, if I live this way, I might not be able to pay all my bills. I might not be able to buy all the stuff that I need to buy or I want to buy. I might not be able to go on the vacations I want to go on. If this is truly how you expect us to live, I'm worried. And he says, don't worry about it. How, Jesus? How? Can you just tell me? And he does, right? He gives us two examples to encourage us and comfort us. Look at what he says. He says, Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? He says, look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, don't be anxious. Because your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Do you see what Jesus is doing here, church? He is literally telling us how we can be free of the concerns that come from the high demands of actually living as righteous citizens of his kingdom. And what he's telling us this morning is that the care of the Father eliminates our concerns. The care of the Father eliminates our concerns. In other words, we might be imperfect children who are prone to worry, who are prone to stress, be filled with anxiety, and just always having these meltdowns about what are we going to do and how are we going to do it? Jesus says, you might be imperfect children, but you have a perfect Father in heaven who cares for you and loves for you. And so you don't have to worry about what's going to happen when you choose to follow Jesus in obedience or how you're going to provide for all your needs because you have a heavenly Father who knows your needs and knows all your concerns and loves you enough and cares about you enough to provide for everything you need. You can trust Him because you matter to Him. You can trust Him because you are of value to Him. And so here's, here's what I want us to do, right? We're getting into springtime. It's a beautiful day outside already, right? We're getting into springtime, and here's what that means. You're about to start seeing a bunch of flowers blooming all over, and it is going to be beautiful. And in the morning when you wake up, even if you don't initially like it, you're going to be hearing some birds singing, right? Here's what I want us to do. Every time you see a flower, and every time you hear a bird sing, I want you to remind yourself, God cares for me. And we're about to enter into a great time to do that, aren't we?
seeing all the flowers, hearing all the birds sing. Every time you see a flower, every time you hear a bird sing, I want you to remind yourself, God cares for me. That He loves me even more than He loves them and cares for them. And listen, I know that flowers and birds, they might not be the greatest example, but we do have the greatest example of all of the love of God, do we not? We have Jesus. We have Jesus. Anytime you're ever tempted to doubt God's love for you, anytime you look at your own failures and your own worries and your concerns and how far your life is from what He calls it to be, and you're just you're so ashamed of yourself, and you're saying, God, how could you possibly love me? You look to the cross of Christ, and when you look to the cross of Christ, you will see the Father's love on display. You cannot doubt God's love when you look at Jesus dying on that cross. This is what the Bible says in 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. God loved us so much that He gave up His only child so that a rebel sinner like me could become His child. God loved me so much that I deserve death, and yet He put His own Son to death so that I might have life. Whenever you doubt the love of God, you look to the cross of Christ and assure yourself, I am loved by God and I see it clearly. Jesus says, don't be anxious, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Here's the whole point of what he's saying, church. He's saying the only way to break free of consumerism and live as righteous citizens is by trusting God and seeking God. That's the only way you can do it. If you want to know, Lord, hey, I'm in this consumerist culture. I'm surrounded by it. I see advertisement for it. I'm tempted by it. How can I possibly break free from it and live as you call me to live? He says it's impossible unless you trust God and seek God above all else. See, church, what Jesus is doing here this morning is he's calling us all to radical discipleship as his followers to deny ourselves, to take up our crosses daily and follow Him, to forsake the fragile, fleeting things of this world and live for a greater purpose and greater rewards, to be able to truly say, take the world, but give me Jesus. All of this this morning would say that we love God, that we serve God. My question is, when you examine your life this morning, When the world looks at the church this morning, is it obvious that we are solely and singularly devoted to the king and his kingdom? If Jesus is truly worth our lives, then it's about time we start actually living like he's worth our lives. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we, we confess to you this morning that we have had a bad eye for far too long. That our eyes have been filled with darkness. That we have given ourselves to the pursuit of the treasures of this world. To laying them up for ourselves. To furthering our own comfort, our own portfolio, our own desires. God, for far too long we have convinced ourselves that we can live 
dually devoted to both you and consumerism. Would you purge that from our hearts this morning, Lord? Would you convict us in all the areas that we need to be convicted, especially in our spending habits, Lord, with the things that we give ourselves to, devote ourselves to, with how we spend our time and our resources? Would you convict us, God, and show us that the things of this earth are not worth it, that they are fleeting, that they are fragile, and that we will waste our lives if we give ourselves to the pursuit of these things. Lord, would you show us how much better what you have for us is? Would you grip our hearts with the beauty of our future inheritance? Would you grip our hearts with the wonders of your kingdom? Lord, would you grip our hearts with the the, the wonder of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and and give us the grace and strength that we need to be able to, to live devoted to you in your kingdom and your purposes. God, would you make us a people who are righteous citizens and it is clear to everyone around us that we are devoted to you and your kingdom alone. Would you do that for us this morning, Lord? We pray in Jesus' name.